Good morning, everyone. Last week was indeed a time of great rejoicing and celebration of what Jesus Christ had done. And, I mean, no one has ever done it, raising from the dead, except for our Lord Jesus Christ. And it was a joyous, it was an eventful, it was something beyond any of our imagination. And so we praise, and through that, because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, He's able to give life, and because of that, He has given us life, and through that, we are able to enjoy the blessings, we are able to enjoy the goodness of God, we are able to experience His love, His grace, His mercy, and all that God has prepared for you and for me. We do not know what things are ahead, but definitely, it's something beyond our imagination. And so, we are a blessed people. We indeed are. I mean, I don't know if you realize it, but we are a blessed people. Because God has endowed upon us all the heavenly blessings that you and I deserve. And we can get that if we can't trust in Him. Now, as we live in a world, we live in a world where, of course, there is a lot of turmoil, a lot of uh, uncertainty, a lot of trouble, difficulties, and, not, and I'm sure all of us will face difficulties sometime or another in our life. But because we are God's people, we are citizens of God's kingdom. And as citizens of God's kingdom, we have to live as citizens of God's kingdom on this earth and therefore exhibit the cultures, the value, the teachings of our God. We must live and act the way it reflects, uh, it reflects in our life that we are God's people. And as I was preparing this, I was thinking, how do you recognize foreigners in our country? I mean, we go to any shop, straight away, we, the person talks to us, we know, oh, this fellow must be from, this man must be from Bangladesh, that lady must be from Indonesia, that, man, that boy must be from Myanmar. How do we know? The way they act, the way they talk, the way they carry themselves out, we recognize them. And in the same way as God's people, we, others must be able to recognize us that we are citizens of the kingdom of God while we are on this earth. The way we move around, the way we talk, the way we live, should be able to display that. And to that, therefore, Paul is bringing to us, let's turn to Romans chapter 14 and verse 17, and see how that can happen in our lives, how that has happened in our lives, and how we can live so that others can see. The, uh, Romans chapter 14 and verse 17. And it reads here, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so, it is because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let me read that again. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drink and drinking, but of righteousness, 
peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So, what is life in the kingdom like? What are the blessings of the kingdom of God? Is it a matter of some rules like do's and don'ts? Is it something that we have to follow? Uh, is it about just eating and drinking as says? Is it about Sabbath regulations? Is it about how we have to, certain order we have to follow to be a religious people? No, not, he doesn't consider all that. It is not all that. Here he says, it is just three things. Righteousness, peace, joy. In the Holy Spirit. That's what's required of us. Righteousness in our relationship with God. Peace, peace with God and peace with men. Joy. Joy in respect of your own inner self. Let's look at the first item, the first criteria. It says, the kingdom of God is righteousness. Now, many of the Bible scholars always discuss about this. What kind of righteousness is this? Is it the gift of righteousness that God has given to us because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross? Or what we call imputed righteousness? Or is this the day-to-day -day practical living of a righteous life that brings honor and glory to your name? Which is it? Is it spiritual, imputed righteousness, everyday righteousness? I believe it's both. It includes both in our life. That means that we are right with God. We are empowered to do the right things for God. We are called to do our call to live a life that is pleasing to God. And that, despite of our imperfections, despite of our shortcomings, God has empowered us to live that righteous life. But that cannot happen if we are not made right with God. So the first and most important thing is we must be righteous before God. We must be righteous because Jesus Christ has done that. The gift of righteousness has been given to us through the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is made possible. He has paid the penalty for your sins and my sins. He has taken away all our burden on the cross as what we remembered over the last weekend through Good Friday and the Resurrection Resur Sunday. And because of all of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have been made righteous. I mean, what did God see in us to make us righteous? I can't see it. I don't know what. Because we all have sinned. But God has made it righteous. So, the gift of righteousness. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 tells us this. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes to the Jew first and also the Gentile. The good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. And as the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. It is through faith that a righteous person has life. And that is the gift of righteousness. And God and Paul says the same thing again 
in Romans chapter 23. He says this, But now God has shown us a way to be made right with Him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We were made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in His grace, freely makes us right in His sight. He did, not, he did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of our sins. What a wonderful thing, isn't it? What a glorious thing. God has, Jesus Christ has paid the penalty and now we have been made right before God. That is our only hope. That is our only hope. You can do all the good things you want. You can be donating to the poor. You can uh, be a man of integrity, a woman of integrity. You can do everything right. But it will not work. That, that's, that's what Isaiah says. Your good works are like filthy rags. All your righteous acts are like filthy rags before God. They don't count for anything at all. And so God has given us that gift of righteousness. The question comes to us now. Have you? Have you received that gift of righteousness? If you have not, then this morning, I would urge you, come and accept that gift. Last week, we shared what God can take away all our baggage. God has taken away through Jesus Christ, taken away all our sin. He has taken away the penalty of sin. Everything has been done for you and for me. And all you and I have to do now is to come and put our faith and believe in Him. Receive. Receive the gift of righteousness through our Lord Jesus Christ. And you will find that God will enable you to bless you with that righteous life again. But then, that's what God has done. But is that all? Then comes the second part. Well, having received the gift of righteousness, how do we go on living? So we have to live that righteous life. The changes in your life, the way you live after you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior, after you have accepted the righteousness of Christ on your life, you cannot, we cannot go on living the same way as we did before. Definitely cannot. In fact, we shouldn't. We must not. Because we are new people. We are a different people. We are now citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And so the way we live our daily life, it must reflect the righteousness of Christ in our lives. And so Romans chapter 6, verse 13 do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. This is the daily practice 
of righteousness in our lives. Or what I would call progressive sanctification. Day by day, you are changed. Year by year, you are changed. You get more and more to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. So, what do we do? We are called to use our hands, to use our mouth, to use our feet, to use our whole body for works of righteousness. That's every righteousness. Let me share with you the experience of one man I know. I've got his permission to share. And so, this is how it happened. Now, he came from a Christian family. But at a very young age, of course, he rebelled against uh, God. And then, he, and you find that he did not progress very well, even his education. So, he became a lorry driver, transporting tires, cables, and other goods to different companies and so on. What he did was, he used to steal. Steal the tires, sell it away, steal the cables, sell them away, steal some of the goods, sell them to get money for himself. And he would tell the boss next day, oh, somebody came and took those things away. I couldn't stop them. And he carried this for several years and became bolder and bolder and bolder. And one day with a group of other friends, they decided to rob a factory. And they, after they robbed the factory, they were on their way going back when they were stopped at a police roadblock. All his friends got caught except him. He managed to run away. And when they were caught, those who interrogated did not reveal where this man was. It's amazing. Sometimes I wonder because when I was working, I remember how the police interrogate, and especially if an Indian gang, Indians were definitely blurt out everything. You know? But this gang did not tell that this other man had ran, ran away. So he ran away to Johor. He was there for about six months, trying to do odd jobs here and there, doing some work. And one away from the family and friends here. Then one night, as he was lying in bed, he saw a bright light. The room was all dark, but he saw a bright light. And he realized it was time to return home. And the first Sunday after running home, he went to church. And what the preacher spoke at the pulpit that Sunday spoke directly to his heart and returned back to his life and turned to the Lord. And as I talked to him and asked him, what is the change that has come to your life ever since that day when you, believe, when you turned back to the Lord? He says, well, the difference is that I was deeply convicted not to do those evil deeds again. I went back to work diligently. I did my work diligently. I delivered exactly what I was told to do. I made sure that every cent that was obtained due to the company, I gave it back. I stopped arguing and quarreling with other people. And slowly but surely, God changed my life and brought me back to my family again. Later, he became a taxi driver. And now he drives taxi, the taxi. And he says that he does not overcharge. Whoever hails him down, 
he will take that person. Not being choosy, even though it may be a short distance, he might not make much money, yet he offers him. And he also has given free rights to those who cannot afford to pay the fare. Who is this man? He is Jerry Jehebalan of our Tamil church. And God changed his life from, I mean, God changed his life tremendously. That's righteous living that God can enable us to do if we allow God to take control, if we allow the Spirit to lead us and guide us. Just like Zacchaeus, after the Jesus Christ met him and touched his life, he made restitution to give back and they followed Jesus. Christ makes a difference in how you treat people. Christ makes a difference in how you treat your family. Christ makes a difference in what you do with your money, in what you do with sexual temptations, in what you do in your office. In fact, Christ makes a difference in your whole life. He can and He will if we only will allow Him to do it. Psalm 15 tells us this, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who might live in your holy hill? He whose work is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from his heart and has no slander on his tongue, who does his neighbor no wrong and casts no slur on his fellow men, who, despise a vile, who despises a vile man, but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps his oath even when it hurts, who lends his money without usury and does not accept a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will not be shaken. That, that is a righteous life. It looks pretty high standards. It looks pretty tough. But yet, God, through His Holy Spirit, will enable us to do it. Righteousness enables, living a righteous life enables our relationship with God to grow deeper and deeper. And therefore, as our relationship with God improves and grows, God will enable us to live, back, to live for Him and become the citizens of the kingdom of God as He has prepared you and me to be. That's righteousness. The second thing, of course, is the kingdom of God is peace. Now, Paul says peace is the essence of God. You know, this peace that God gives is a great, great blessing. Now, just as with righteousness, in peace also there is that heavenly part of peace, a godly part of peace, and also the peace that comes into our own daily living. Now, the first peace, Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God, because of what Jesus Christ the Lord has done for us. That's wonderful. That's again, uh, as I said, same with righteousness. Okay? So, peace with God. That's what we are called to do. And if you haven't had your peace with God, then it's time to come and make that peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, during World War II, 
or maybe even today in, in Ukraine and Russia and so on. There's war. And when there is war, there is no diplomatic relationships, diplomatic relations, no exchanges. Everything is cut off between the two countries. Okay? And because of warfare, all relationships are broken. You cannot go to the country and they cannot come here. So after the war, peace came. There was peace treaty. And now, I mean, when the, Japan, when the, Jap when the Japanese attacked Malaysia in World War II, I mean, from the accounts that I hear, from what my grandmother and my father all used to tell, it was tough. They were angry with the way the Japanese persecuted the Malaysians and so on. But now peace has come and both have accepted each other. We exchange diplomats, we exchange gifts, we can go to their country freely, they can come freely and so on. So there's no more war. And it's the same with God. While we were in sin, we are at war with God. But God cannot look at sin. Sin has caused that war between us and God. When, and so we are God's enemies. That's what Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 tells us. Now, once you're enemy with God and were his enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. We are enemies with God. But the good thing is, of course, God has made peace. God has opened the door to peace. God has made the pathway to peace. You and I cannot do that. We cannot have a uh, we cannot open and make a peace treaty without because of our sin. But God has done that through our Lord Jesus Christ, as I shared with you earlier. And so, again, this peace with God is a gift from God. And just like as I shared with righteousness, you have to come. Come and believe and accept that peace from God. And that relationship between you, the peace relationship between you and God, between us and God, is permanently established, can never be broken again. While peace treaties on earth can be broken, but peace treaty with God can never be broken. What a wonderful blessing, isn't it? You can, we can, I mean, we can disobey God, we can, sometimes we can offend God, but God will not break that treaty, that relationship of peace between you and men. So God has opened the way to peace. Again, I urge you, if you have not come and made peace with God, this is the day. This is the time. The fact that you are listening to this message, God has a message for you too, to come and make that peace with Him. So while there's peace with God, there's also the peace of God. Philippians chapter 4. Verses 6 and 7 tells us this. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And other versions put it as, And the peace of God, which passes beyond all understanding, Peace of God. 
that is beyond all our understanding. So, if you have any difficulties, you have any problems, you have pain, struggling, unsure of what is going to happen in this current state of affairs, then here he tells us, come and just lay them at the Lord's feet. And his peace will come upon you. And of course, this peace of God does not mean that we don't go through struggles. We will. We don't go through pain. There will be pain because we are on earth. We don't go through difficulties in life. We will encounter them. No question about it. But we don't encounter them alone. As we come and as, the, as Paul tells us, don't pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank Him. And as you surrender them all to Him, the peace of God will come upon you. God's peace is vital because our life is so unpredictable. Isn't it? In the way, in our, I mean, in our world today, everything, you don't know what can happen tomorrow. In fact, you don't know what can happen at the moment you leave the church also. Because it's so unpredictable, we need that we need the peace of God. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, which is to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful, as Colossians tells us that. So, God's peace is supernatural. That's what he says, isn't it? Beyond our understanding. God's peace sometimes cannot be explained. It's amazing how God will respond to your need at that time. Yes, I mean, let me, I'll just give you an example. Sometimes, you know, we go through struggles. I have gone through issues, many, many, all through my life. Many problems that encountered, family issues, office matters, work matters, church matters even sometimes. And sometimes I struggle and wonder, what can I do? And I remember one occasion in my, in my office when we were uh, in, a, in, a, in a tough situation. And I was in a struggle. Because on one hand, my boss wanted us to do certain things. On the other hand, my conscience says we cannot. On, uh, the, the attorney general wanted the results to be in this way, and we said we can't. And in a way, it was such a tough situation. But God, when I prayed to God and just laid them at his feet, I said, God, I don't know what to do. Tomorrow, when I go to office, I've got to give an answer to my boss. And if I give the wrong answer, probably he'll put me back in cold storage. The government won't set you straight away. Huh? So they were putting in cold storage for a while, and you never know what can happen. But God gave, after praying that, God gave... I mean, I was able to sleep well, strange enough, but strange well. Huh? God's peace was there. And next morning, in my quiet time, this verse came to me. Just stay still, stay still, and the Lord will fight your battle for you. And sure enough, when I went to the office and I told my boss, no, I'm not going to change my report. I'm going to leave it as it is. You do whatever you want to do. I mean, I didn't tell him that way, huh? of course, I did politely. <laughs> you know? And strange and I mean, at that time it was strange, huh? but now I realize it was through prayer. My boss agreed with me. Never would I imagine that would have ever happened. But that's what God's peace is. 
can give you good sleep even though you got trouble, it's super, uh, unexplainable. Huh? So it happens. But we have to learn to come and depend and trust God and leave it at His feet. Don't worry about it anymore. Yeah, it will still trouble you. That's why it says the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds because Satan is going to come and continue to work in your mind, continue to work in your hearts and keep you, you know, worrying about it, what to do, how long, la, wait, the time limit tomorrow. God is, our God is a God of last minute, la, you know. Huh? And he, he always says, wait and wait and wait. But until, I mean, why? Maybe because testing your faith, I don't know. But so far, I find our God, uh, He tells us that way. But we need to, that's why the peace of God will guard your hearts, will guard your minds. And then you will find you'll be able to be victorious at the end. That's the God, that's the God of peace that comes with us. That's the peace of God that you and I have. And when the, it's not only peace within our own selves with God, but also with other men and people in the, around me, whether in the office or in church. A feeling of, especially in church, in the context of Romans 14. Especially in the church. Here in this, at that time when Paul wrote this, people were arguing about eating and drinking. How can he eat this in the other one? How can you drink in this? All kinds of things were happening in the church. But when we have peace, when the peace of God in your hearts, we'll learn to live with harmony. Good thing nobody asked me why you don't eat vegetables. Huh? Why, why, huh? <laughs> How can you don't eat vegetables and I must eat that kind of thing? Or no, huh? <laughs> but we don't have to argue about small, small matters like that. But that's what the church was arguing at that time about eating, about drinking. But we want harmony in the church. Then, let's come and have our peace of God in our hearts. God's peace will give us harmony. God's peace will come and enable us to work together for the furtherance of the kingdom of God. There's no bickering, no gossiping, no backbiting, no arguing on debatable issues, whether it's rules and regulations, whether the lights must be off or on. I mean, all this, are, you know, this kind of matters don't affect us anymore because that's God's design. So, God, the peace of God will come upon you. God has given us that peace. And let us therefore learn to trust Him and have our peace with Him and peace with other men and women. And the Holy Spirit will enable us in this experience. Thirdly, we have righteousness, we have peace, and of course the third is joy. The kingdom of God is joy. The only person, this quotation I was just, I just I quoted, it says, the only person in the world who has the right to be truly happy is a Christian. Do you agree or not? This was cool. <laughs> because the Christian joy comes from a source which cannot be touched by the world. And when I read this quotation, how true it is, isn't it? The only person who has the right to be happy is we who are in God's family. Because the joy that we have, no one can rob it away. Once God has given, it is there with you. It is there for you to experience. It is there for you to enjoy. Satan cannot rob that joy away from you. No, he won't. 
He cannot, not that he would, he would, cannot do that. Psalm 35 verse 9 says, And my soul will be joyful in the Lord. It shall rejoice in his salvation. While we realize who Christ is and what he has done for us, he is always present with us through his Holy Spirit. God is with us every day through his Holy Spirit. And because the Holy Spirit is with us, therefore the joy that he gives becomes a reality daily in our lives. This joy cannot be bought, cannot be manufactured, cannot be inherited. It comes only from God. It is that gift from God. So you have righteousness is a gift, peace is a gift, joy is also a gift to you and to me who believe. And what is this joy? It is the inner communion and fellowship with God brought through faith in His Son and made real by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Let me repeat that. This joy is an inner communion and fellowship with God brought through faith in His Son and made real by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we cannot find this joy outside God. Outside of our relationship with God. It's because it comes from the heart of God and it dwells in our presence too. So, joy therefore is an expression of our inner attitude of contentment because the joy of the Lord is our strength, as Nehemiah says. But this joy is based on the rock-solid foundation of the first two. You need righteousness with God. You need peace with God. If you don't have that, you won't have the joy. So if you are not right with God, if you don't have peace with God, then definitely joy will not come to your life. You know, I, I, I strongly believe that joy is a... It's what I would call the greatest barometer of our Christian health. Because if you want to know how you are doing, check your joy. Because that tells us how our relationship with God is. And there are some joy killers in our life. Let me give you two, exam two examples. Huh? Joy cannot coexist with sin. Joy cannot coexist with sin. Yes, sin will take away. When we sin against God, sin will, sin will not, I mean the joy will not be removed, but you won't experience the inner joy that God has promised for you. And sin will, what, has sin, what sin will do? Sin will let you, uh, sin will continue to work in your heart it will keep longer than you, it wants to stay. It will, it will charge you more than you want to pay for it. And Satan is very cunning. All Satan needs is a small hook in our lives. That's all. A small thing. He just starts with a small thing and he starts working on it and, because, and it grows bigger and bigger and bigger. And, that's all, and then you find the joy that you have in your Lord. It wanes 
slowly and slowly, and then you find as a Christian, we become miserable. And that has a joy, that kills the joy. How to rectify? Then come before God. Repent, confess, and go. That's what King David did, isn't it? When David sinned against God, when he had committed adultery with Bathsheba, when he killed Bathsheba's husband, David lost that joy he had before the Lord. And what did David say? David said, Restore to me the joy of, my sal- of your salvation. And that's what we have to do. When sin comes and creeps into our lives, when we realize that we have sinned, and have lost that, that the sense of joy in our lives. Come to God. Be honest before God. Tell God clearly. And restore to me the joy of our, your salvation. Sin is the number one joy killer. Of course, the others will follow. Joy cannot coexist with uh, unbelief and legalism. Now, unbelief, of course, is against come from the evil one. Uh, and sometimes the legalism, the rules that follow, must do this, must do that, must do that, and so on. You find that that hinders a lot of our joy. Galatians chapter 4, verse 15 says, What has happened to you, to all your joy? So Paul is telling the Galatian church, What has happened to all your joy? I came with the gospel to you, and now you say, you must have a set of rules to follow. You must get circumcised and this and that. They have become a legalistic gospel. And so, we have to therefore refrain. Let's keep our lives in the way that God has intended to be. Not to sin. Don't, be, don't force our rules. Don't force rules and regulations. But following the word of God. Now, we can be happy, okay, we can be happy, I'm sorry, we can have joy and not be happy at the same time. Why I say that? Happiness is temporary. It comes for a while, it goes away. Okay? But joy is permanent. It's constant. It stays there. And we, although we may experience all kinds of difficulties and struggles and issues in our life, Joy remains. And a very good analogy is that of a submarine. You know, a submarine, as most of us know, is always it's one that goes underwater. Submarines are relatively unaffected by weather or tsunamis when submerged under the sea. Up above the sea level, you can have all kinds of waves, 10-foot waves, you can have all kinds of ships, I mean, the ship, wherever the ship is on the surface there, might shake, and a lot of turbulence. But deep down, 400 feet below, when the submarine is there, you find that there's peace, there's tranquility, and it's placid. They don't experience any of it. And that's the joy that we have. Yes, we may be struggling, we may have issues around the world, we may have issues we face, but the joy that God has given to us remains there. It's permanent. And so we can go through all kinds of legal trials, but the promise of joy remains. That's what James tells us, isn't it? James 1 verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials 
of any kind. Faith. Yes, we will face trials. That's what James tells us. But consider it joy. Why? Ultimately, these trials build our character, our faith in God, strengthen our work with God. And then you find our life becomes more and more reflecting the values of the kingdom of God. So as kingdom citizens then, we have learned to have joy even while solving problems. We bless our enemies with joy. That's what Jesus Christ told us, isn't it? We pray for difficult situations with joy. We enter into our battles with joy. We think of tomorrow with joy and do everything else with joy too. But righteousness, peace, and joy on your own, on myself alone, definitely we cannot experience it well. We need the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul tells us righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And that's why He's there with us. The moment we believe, He comes and dwells with us and He wants us to experience all these blessings that God has ever ready to give to us. And that uh, the Spirit enables us to live righteously, to live peacefully, and to live joyfully, experience the joy that God has given us to. And so, church, high point life, wherever you are, as believers, God, we have been blessed by God richly through the gift of righteousness, the gift of peace, the gift of joy. So how then are we called to live as take home? Let me just share with you some points. Take home one. Righteousness, what do we do? Jesus tells us, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be satisfied. So, that's that. Clear, plain, full, simple to you. Hunger and thirst after righteousness. Just now we were eating and drinking. Now it's hunger and thirst. So let's hunger and thirst after righteousness. We have to work towards that. A yearning for it. A yearning to see righteousness in our lives that we don't see the way we would like it to be. A yearning to see righteousness around our society, around our place, that we don't see the way we like. We want to see things changing. But it has to start with our own life first, with your life and my life. If we want to see a change in our community, in our church, it starts with you and with me. And we have to learn to hunger and thirst after righteousness. So, let's go. Let's go to the Word of God. Let's know the Word of God. Let's come before God. Know, want to know more of Him. More and more of Him in our lives. That's what John the Baptist says. He must increase. I must decrease. Secondly, peace. Number one, of course, be a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Let us be a peacemaker to others. Now, let us not be the ones who come and cause strife and dissension, especially in the church or with other people. 
that when we share, when we talk, it's always things that build each other up. Not negative things or not what happens, or not what things that cause dissension. But let's be a peacemaker. Peace, not only a peacemaker, but peace when dealing with ourselves with God in our life so that we are always at peace with God. Thirdly, take on number three. Refrain from joy killers. Simple, isn't it? Just now, joy killers are sin, unbelief, legalism. So, keep away from sin. Keep away. Pursue joy. Saturate your life in it. Let your faith be rooted in the rich soil and see what grows in your life. Through the ups and downs of everyday life, God wants to strengthen us for the journey and experience His delight in everything we do. Your life, your prayers, your faith grows because the joy of the Lord is your strength. The kingdom of God isn't so much about what, you, what we do, but what God does in us, in your life, in my life. He set things right, puts together, and completes it all with joy. And take home number four. Lean on the power of the Holy Spirit. Always. You know, sometimes the problem, I mean, I'm not the problem with us. Many of us don't realize the great power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We often try to depend on our own strength, our own wisdom. But God is always there, ever ready to lead us and guide us. When we face struggles, difficulties, whatever issues, God, through the Holy Spirit, is there. And we have to learn. Learn to trust Him, depend on Him. Let Him lead and guide us. We only have one part to play. Surrender. Surrender our lives to the Holy Spirit. No matter how old we become, how mature our faith, or how seasoned in the Scriptures we are, we are constantly to depend on the Holy Spirit. So as I, as, as I close, let me reiterate again. If you have not set yourself right with God, today is the day. If you have not made your peace with God, come. Come and turn to the Lord this morning. And if you have already believed in the Lord Jesus Christ then, are you still walking in the Lord, in this way. How are you living out these kingdom values in our daily life? Are we serving God in this way? Righteousness, peace, and joy. Our past, don't worry about the past anymore. We have to look ahead to the destiny that God has prepared for you and for me. And we can do that because the Holy Spirit is right there. Through righteousness, peace and joy uh, we, will, we will become we will live a life that is pleasing to God and serve God in a way that brings glory and honour to His name. So let us live our lives in line with righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Let's pray, shall we? Our gracious God and our loving Heavenly Father 
we stand in your holy presence, Lord, with the assurance that you are here with us, for you, you are here listening to us. You are here, Lord, touching our lives too. We thank you. Lord, we just thank you and praise you for opening, Lord, this door for us, this door of righteousness, peace and joy to us too. And we thank you that, Lord Jesus Christ, that because of what you have done, now we can experience that righteousness, that peace, that joy that comes from above. And we bless you and praise you. And so, Lord, we pray. We pray that you will continue to, to work in our lives. Give us that hunger and thirst, Lord, for righteousness. Lord, so that our lives will be satisfied. Lord, indeed, we pray that your Spirit will just work in our hearts. Lord, that we may hunger for more of your Word. We may hunger for more of you. We will thirst after you for the Spirit to come and fill us with that living water. That our lives may grow and our faith may grow and our lives may be strengthened. That we may truly live in the way that you desire us to be. Thank you, God, that we are not alone here. Thank you again for the Holy Spirit whom we have, who lives in us and who, has, who will be able to lead us, guide us, strengthen us, lead, and just be with us all the way through our life's journey on earth. So we pray, Lord. We pray you will continue to work in our lives that we may reflect the values of the kingdom of God daily in our lives, both wherever we are, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, and in schools, in offices, wherever we are, others may see that you are the one who lives in us too, O oh Father. We thank you, we praise you. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with every good thing for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.